Today on the news and why it matters, the coronavirus. We have an update for you. The White House has spoken. Are we all going to die? We'll let you know. Also, Bernie Sanders and socialism. Got an update for you there as well. We've got a lot to get into, and it starts right now. Welcome to the news and why it matters. I am Sarah Gonzalez, today joined by the one and only Jason Buttrell, chief researcher of the Glenn Beck program. I knew we were talking Bernie Sanders and socialism, so I wore my red coat. Oh, my God. <laughs> we got to switch the, the colors of the political parties in this country. I know. Well, it makes no sense. After this election. Not that, not that long ago, yeah. they, they did do the little switcheroo. Oh, my God. Do not encourage him with a fist bump. Please do. Doing. Uh, Giancarlo Sopo of TheBlaze.com and also Aaron Colon of TheBlaze.com. By the way, both of them, we have stories featuring both of them uh, on the show today. We will talk about both of their stories that you can find at TheBlaze.com. Got a lot to get into. Uh, let's talk coronavirus first because it seems to be the only thing that anyone can talk about other than Bernie Sanders and uh, the Democrat contenders. Um, everyone seems to be convinced that the world is ending. We're all going to die. Uh, the White House actually addressed coronavirus. Trump spoke to uh, the press yesterday afternoon and he let everyone know he was putting uh, Mike Pence in charge of Heading up all the coronavirus uh, affairs here is a little bit of what that looked like. I look forward, uh, Mr. President, to uh, serving uh, in this role of bringing together uh, all the members of the Corona Task Force that you've established, HHS, CDC, DHS, the Department of Transportation, and State. Uh, this team has been at your direction, Mr. President, meeting every day since it was established. Uh, my role will be to continue to uh, I'll bring that team together uh, to bring to the president uh, uh, the best options for action to see to the safety and well-being and health of the American people. Now, this news, of course, comes as we hear that there is the first case of, quote, community spread coronavirus found in California, which, Aaron, I believe you wrote mm -hmm. at TheBlaze.com. So, the, so what this means is that it's the first person-to-person -person transmission. To where they don't know where the person got it from. There's no indication they, they were from, from China, China or that they came into contact with somebody who had traveled to China. Mm -hmm. So they don't really know where this one came from and or how long they had it. Okay. Um, Jason, are we all dying? <laughs> um, well, I am concerned that... I think it's the, the problem here is we just don't know enough about this. And I don't think we even know where it started in China to begin with. I don't think even Chinese even know right now. I think they were lying about it. But because the, the special that you helped with, uh, with Glenn, Glenn's coronavirus special, you guys indicated that it was not from bat soup. Yeah, and, and they've confirmed that, actually. Okay. State media has confirmed that. They were like, well, it might have come from somewhere else. So in, in other words, we don't really know. Now think how big China is with all the people there. That's pretty frightening, considering they haven't locked down travel from those other areas. Seeing cases in Iran popping up all over the place. The one in Canada recently I was similar to this one that you wrote about, because she had traveled to Iran, but they're not, she's not sure who she caught it from Iran, which indicates it's more widespread in Iran. She just popped up in Canada. They're like, holy crap. Um, uh, the ghost is the governor of uh, California, um, Newsom. Newsom. He just said that they have 8,400 people, I believe. Um, that, have, that are being monitored because they suspect they might have coronavirus. So I think right now everyone just doesn't really freaking know. Mm. So I, what pisses me off most about this, uh, about this topic, though, right now, especially from the, saw that you, the video you just played, was that they're criticizing 
the Trump administration. And they're trying to say, you saw Nancy Pelosi, you saw Chuck Schumer, everyone right now is jumping on board Bloomberg. They don't know what they're talking about. You know, he's not doing right. There's not enough money. Yeah. If you looked like, just go back to 2009, the way Obama handled it. The way Obama handled it was there was already uh, 40, uh, 46 states. The swine flu mm -hmm. was in 46 mm -hmm. states. A thousand deaths. It was spreading all over the United States. Then he finally did something, and he asked for $1.5 billion to combat it. Trump has now asked for, well, I think, twice that amount of money. Uh, or no, $2.5 billion. And they're saying it's inadequate all of a sudden. The politics involved in this is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, um, and G Jason touched on the Democrats' reaction to President Trump's response to coronavirus. Let's listen to Nancy Pelosi uh, talk about Trump's coronavirus res response and how it's, it's, it's meager, it's meager. What he's doing is late, too late, anemic. Hopefully we can make up for the loss of time, but it'll have to have the professionals in place the resources that are adequate and, and not to be giving, using scare tactics about people coming back uh, to our country. <laughs> Me? That's <laughs> what I just, what just said. They, he did more than Obama and yeah. it was worse under the swine flu as far as the United States. It's almost as if the Democrats would like to cause mass chaos and encourage widespread uh, outbreak just to make Trump look bad. Well, they're the party of chaos, right? They're ideologically the party of chaos. So I am not surprised that Pelosi would react like this, but she's a charlatan. I mean, she has no idea what the hell she's talking about. Uh, do, it, but does that make her a charlatan, or do you think she's just senile? Oh, both. <laughs> but, but look, I, I, I thought President Trump's press conference yesterday was very clear and very strong. Mm -hmm. This administration is taking extensive measures to uh, protect uh, Americans from any potential outbreak. We're not sure if there's going to be an outbreak. The the fatality rates really vary in China by region, by age, by person. So I don't want people to be alarmed, mm -hmm. right? I know Glenn was uh, a little worried about this, but I... Glenn? I, yeah. <laughs> no. I don't want people to be alarmed. I think... Um, where we're, we have the best healthcare in the world. There was a study by Johns Hopkins that showed that, United, that the United States of America is the country that's most, most prepared, prepared yeah. Yeah, for any kind of uh, like a virus outbreak. So we are in good hands. We just have to just be smart. You know, what we can't, what we can't do, look, when your likely nominee is Bernie Sanders, you need a deadly virus mm -hmm. to, in, in order to win an election, right? Mm -hmm. That's what's happening. Another misinformation tactic that they're doing this absolutely drove me wild. You saw this in the debates. You saw Michael Bloomberg say that uh, Trump had cut CDC yes, funding. Yes, the CDC funding was cut. Therefore, that's going to lead to a it's, lot of it's, deaths. It's not even true. It's, it's, it's absolute lie. That's a, AP, exactly. Yeah, it's increased. AP uh, fact checked this and they debunked it. So these people are just. Yeah. Which is interesting because I didn't see the, the AP, uh, I'm, and I'm not saying AP yeah. did anything wrong, but I haven't seen that widely disseminated that AP fact-checked Michael Bloomberg on that. The correction well. never gets the attention yeah. that yeah. the initial yeah. claim does, and so once a claim's out there, most people are just going to see that, and then it fuels that panic. Right. But I think the, the biggest problem here is that it, I think the healthcare system can take care of people who get coronavirus in the United States. I think if, the deaths have come from people who are older with pre-existing conditions and things like that. But the concern is 
there's, there could be unnecessary cases and deaths if the government is not prepared to handle it as it comes in terms of we've seen in California, there's delays in how quickly people are getting tested when they're suspected of having it. And so you want to be on top of it in terms of making sure that you're detecting it so that you're containing it. Not that it's going to wipe out millions of people necessarily, but you don't want unnecessary people dying or unnecessary people getting coronavirus because you're not getting ahead of it. And I'm not accusing, you know, the government of not getting ahead of it, but there are some indications that maybe we're a little bit slow and uh, to prepare and to test people to make sure they're getting treatment right up front for this thing. I, you have to look at the way, uh, just past precedent, and I, I, I just, the, the one I've been looking at is back in 2009. It's very similar, except it seems like the Obama administration was actually slower. They actually, they waited longer. There was more, it was a lot more widespread. A lot more people were dying from this thing. It took them until, I believe, October 2009, after it had already been spreading for a while, to finally come out and allocate money. And when they actually look at this, this is another uh, deceptive thing they do about it. They say, well, Obama gave $6 billion to combat the swine flu. And that is true. But the way these things happen, they happen over time. So they don't just come out with a blanket number what they think it might cost them to fight, you know, fight off this virus. He did 1.5 billion, then later on down the line as it spread, a couple more billion, a couple more billion. But so don't take this, the, the, the propaganda they're, they're spewing right now as, um, as fact. 2.5 billion is more than he's allocated than Obama allocated. That's a bare. That's just a. That's a fact. And it'll probably go up as it spreads, but it's mm -hmm. going to take a little while. And it's like if you give a mouse a cookie in the government. You give a mouse a cookie. You get, they ask for that original piece, and they're always going to ask for more. You got to factor that into right. it. And I think what we're seeing around the world is that government disinformation causes problems in terms of allowing this to spread because people don't know how to respond to it. It happened in China. It's happening in Iran right now. And it could happen here if you've got people like Nancy Pelosi or other Democrats spewing things that are not true about the nature of the situation. It is a serious situation. It's not something that we need to cause a panic about because that'll just cause more problems. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's just also be clear, right? 15 people have been diagnosed so far in the United States from what I understand. Based yeah, on the press 15 confirmed tester, right? cases, right. yes. Two, bill two billion dollars for 15 people. That's like, what is it, like uh, 700? Well, like, Don't my, look at me. It's 75 million per person. <laughs> right, but it's not just for the people who are affected now. Of course, of course. But, but what I'm trying to say in terms of like proportionality, like that's, that's a ton of money. Right, that's that, that's more money sometimes than we allocate toward like hurricane disaster relief. Mm -hmm. So everyone's got to chill. Things are going to be okay. You know, part of the reason why this is causing an economic slowdown is because we have this ridiculous economic relationship with China that we should have reassessed a long time ago. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're also a quasi incompetent communist government. Yeah. So everyone's got to chill. That, that's what I don't get, and I hope that Americans really take from this particular situation is Jason. The thing that struck me is everyone's like, well, now we're going to have antibiotic shortages and medical medic, medication shortages and all these shortages. And I'm like, why the hell are we getting all these things from China in the first place? Should that not be the first question that we're asking is what we're trusting China for all of this stuff? Maybe that's what we should be looking at. That amount. I don't know whose idea that was, but I tell you what, companies, if they should be held accountable by their board, not the government, but by their boards should be who was this your idea to shift all of our uh, need for raw material, medical raw materials all to China? Yeah. The numbers are insane. I, Glenn probably remembers them off the top of his head. I don't remember. We did this in the show, but it's like. 85% or something like that of raw materials to make our drugs. 85% all from China. And it was around 90% of all antibiotics yeah. come from China. Yeah. So if something shuts down there, you can imagine what prices would happen. It's yeah. Skyrocket. I think like one of the lasting, most important 
aspects of the Trump administration thus far for, of, of his presidency has been really to reassess our relationship with China, mm-hmm. which both sides of the aisle have long taken that, well, we just have free trade with this government and, and it's in our best interest because we can get cheap crap. But it's really not in our best long-term strategic interest to be this dependent on a communist government that has plans for global domination. So this is another indicator that we need to reassess this relationship and start looking more toward natural partners like like the UK, people who, who do share our values rather than some rogue communist regime on the other side of the world. Yeah. Uh, Aaron, last word on this. Japan actually is requesting that all schools close uh, ahead of this whole coronavirus outbreak. And now just for comparison, Japan, as of this morning, Japan had 910 confirmed cases of coronavirus with eight people who have died. Is that really a reason to shut down all your schools? It strikes me as a severe overreaction. You know, I don't claim to know all the details of how things are going in Japan, but shutting down all the schools, I mean, the impact of that to their entire society is going to be very significant because I think they're shutting it down for maybe a month or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Right, because so then that leads to, well, the parents can't go to work. Yeah, can't go to work. they got to keep their kids at home. And that doesn't mean people are necessarily going to be staying in their house, so coronavirus could still Mm -hmm. spread, so it doesn't even solve the entire problem. It just seems like they're trying to do something big to maybe make people feel better, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't strike me as something that will be effective. Those oversteps like that are what scare the crap out of me as far as the economic impact, and especially going into a November election. I mean, I if more industry gets shut down or even just slowed a little bit and you get the just hint, the smell of an economic downturn, that could that could bury Donald Trump. It really could. And then can, something happens to the economy. And can you imagine the Democrats talking points on uh, how? Right. That Trump, Trump, that Trump's mishandling of coronavirus caused all of these economic disasters. Yep. Oh. God, I can't even, ugh, I just want to throw up. Uh, before we get back into, let's see what's coming up next. Communist Cuba praises Bernie Sanders on the front page of their state-run newspaper. Oh, that's so cute. It's almost like they're trading love letters like he said they weren't doing. Uh, first, I want to talk to you about Laurel Springs. I'm so excited to talk to you guys about this place. I, I didn't know about it until uh, I learned about them because they were going to become an advertiser on the show. And uh, they actually are an online private school that encourages children to pursue their dreams, to provide opportunities that give them the best chance to succeed. So this is uh, K through 12, all right, and it's accredited. So they can take those take those credits that they're, obviously they're going to school for, and they can use them wherever they go to college. Um, again, kindergarten through 12th grade, and they provide a personalized approach to learning from attention to unique learning styles, one-on-one, one-on-one relationships with teachers and counselors, and they also have real-time school events and clubs. Laurel Springs combines the benefits of a traditional school with the flexibility and personalization of online learning. They have a curriculum that offers challenging and diverse elective courses. Um, I looked at them. Trust me, they are legit. Uh, it fosters inquiry, growth, mastery, purpose, and independence by valuing your, your kids as individuals and enabling them to focus on the things they love. Like I said, it's all accredited. It's not just for funsies. They're actually getting credit for this that they can use to go into college. It's accredited by the Western Association of Schools and Colleges and Advanced, Advanced ED, Advanced ED, which means their transcripts, they're recognized by uh, worldwide universities. You can register your child today at laurelsprings.com slash why. You can get a waived registration fee. That is laurelsprings.com slash why. This is the free market 
solution that we are always talking about on this program right here. Online private school, K-12, laurelsprings.com slash why. Communist Cuba praised socialist Bernie Sanders uh, on the front page of their state-run newspaper. Giancarlo, how do you say Grandma? Grandma. Well, I mean, okay, I can do that too. I just want to make sure. <laughs> no, no, yeah, grandma. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the Communist Party newspaper prominently displayed a report about Sanders and his praise of, quote, some of the social programs implemented by the historic leader of yeah. the Cuban revolution, Fidel Castro. Uh, they added its own analysis of the democratic race, and they said that Sanders seems unstoppable. I guess that's what happens when you praise a communist regime for their literacy rates instead of, oh, I don't know, taking the time to call out all of the horrible things they did. Yeah, totally. Um, I don't even think that the that the front pages of the communist newspaper in Cuba were so glowing about Barack Obama who went there. Yeah. So, uh, no, Bern, they certainly see Bernie Sanders as an ideological ally of theirs. He's parroting their talking points. Cuba's literacy rate was already one of the highest in Latin America before the revolution. So the the Cubans have this habit of going around the world, and the way that they're able to shift attention away from like their human rights abuses and the lack of basic freedoms on the island is they say, oh, look, we have a gay pride parade, or hey, we we, we, we have these literacy programs. So that's that's the way that they're, they've always been very successful at deflecting away criticism from the international center-left, especially, um, using these kinds, these types of tactics, so I am not surprised that they were like over the moon that uh, Bernie Sanders was praising Fidel Castro's literacy program. Something that like I don't think anybody in the, in the in else in the world does, except other co- like quasi communist governments in Latin America. Mm-hmm. Jason, I get the, I keep getting this comment a lot, which I understand to a certain extent. They say, uh, "Oh, yeah, well, what about?" President Trump and how he sucks up to Kim Jong-un of North Korea. What about that? And I'm like, I also criticized that. However, there may be something to be said for trying to, you know, the the art of negotiation in the moment that you're talking with someone uh, as opposed to praising someone who is long gone and there's like what good can come from praising someone who has the history that he has. There's no there's no benefit. Right. You, you definitely have a point, and the other people have a point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I, that's why I said, like, we were not fans of President Trump going and kissing the feet of Kim Jong Un. Right. Um, yeah. I, the thing with Bernie Sanders is he's an ideologue. Trump is not an ideologue. Mm-hmm. So when Bernie Sanders praises, you know, the Sandinistas, or if he praises, you know, uh, Castro, he's praising everything that they're the ideology behind what they're doing. And it's communism. And, and we know that. That, that. That's why it's in a different ballpark as far as Bernie Sanders is concerned. The Trump stuff with, I mean, he said a lot of things. I just was like, oh, my gosh, dude. Right. Can't, I know why he was doing it. Because, like you said, he was trying to get a deal done. That's how he, he, he knows that he, flattery works for him, I think. And so that's what he does to other people to try to butter someone up for a deal. Right. I, I think one of the worst things I think I heard him say was, he was talking about the president of China and he was like yeah he's managed to you know become president for life that's a beautiful thing <laughs> I was like no it's not <laughs> no danger <laughs> but we can say these things right like we can criticize president trump for saying those things 
it's such many a many of the left can't do that with Bernie. Politically, it's just such a weird hill for Bernie to die on. Like I don't know why he's holding on to it so tightly to where you want to make this point about the literacy thing so much, even though people are saying, "Hey, dude, it's just not worth it. It's not the thing." They gave him and like he, quadruple time he, to, to plenty maybe of time, and he's like, "No, but really, they were really reading over there." And he's like, it's it's <laughs> not. We don't even care that much. Like who like, who among his base? Dead. Like who? Right, that's yeah, what I'm like, saying. What what do you have to gain? Why from Why is this point so important to him? He's going to pay a price politically for it in the primary, and if he's the nominee, he's going to pay a price for this, and it's not doing anything for anybody here. He just, I guess, believes it so deeply that he has to hold on to this one point. I don't get it. Giancarlo, you were talking about the the latest polls in Florida. Yeah, I mean, uh, Bernie Sanders could not get elected dog catcher in Miami. Uh, I mean, uh, even Hispanic Democrats, there was the the, the head of the Hispanic Hispanic arm of the Broward County Democratic Party, and Broward's a pretty liberal county, Uh, just came out. She came out and said, "Enough is enough. Like we're fed up with this crap. This is not what any of us signed up for." She did, she publicly denounced Bernie Sanders. Uh, the, the the local party in Miami Dade and the statewide party for Florida had to issue statements denouncing Fidel Castro. Who's denouncing Fidel Castro? The man who's been dead for four years. <laughs> That's the kind of position that Bernie Sanders is putting his entire party in. And I think if Bernie Sanders, for some reason, it, it does not come out as the nominee this year, we might be looking back at this point in the campaign as the start of his decline, which I think is, once again, Cubans had have like this out, we, we are, like my people have this outsized impact on American elections. <laughs> it's, he, uh, Giancarlo brings up a good point about the position he's putting the party in. I was just reading an article, I can't remember where, but they were talking about how Nancy Pelosi was just commenting that whatever, if Bernie Sanders becomes the nominee, that won't, his policies, well, the way he's going to be directing everything is not necessarily what Democrats in the House are going to be uh, campaigning on. Mm-hmm. And she was like, you know, we're going to not focus on these like divisive, you know, radical issues. We're going to d- focus on what let allowed us to take control back in 2018 and the majority of the of the i think coverage went to like justice democrats aoc and how they won but every single candidate they ran and those those contested area uh, seats that they were trying to uh, swing was only done because they were moderate that's the only way they were able to flip those seats in those swing states that used to be republican so his way does not work Pelosi knows that, so they're going to be going one direction while he's going to be going that direction. It's going to be one of the most chaotic things if he gets the nomination. This is the kind of weird thing that Joe Biden was doing with the segregationist like months ago where he was saying, well, you know, they did have some good things going on. It's like, why? Dude, there's certain things where you have to say, like, the ba- the good does not outweigh the bad, and you don't need to make that point, and Bernie's just going to yeah. go down this road. Yeah. No, no, but you know, you know what I think is really funny? I don't know, have you guys heard the story of Sanders' trip to Cuba? in like 1989 or 1990 and he was like begging for a meeting with Fidel Castro when he went down there and he and 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 the, even the Cubans thought that he was crazy so they just had him meet with like the mayor of Havana which I don't even think it's like a real position I think they had a, I think they just told him to meet we got uh we got Sanchez here for you you're going to meet with Sanchez and like Sanchez isn't even mayor I don't even think my Havana has a mayor so the, like so this goes to show you like how insane this person is yeah. uh Giancarlo you actually have this story up at theblaze.com right now a growing group of DNC super delegates and party leaders are actually planning to stop Bernie Sanders at the convention in Milwaukee? Yeah. Yeah, Tell so it, it. yeah, so it's pretty interesting. The New York Times broke the story where they interviewed uh, I think it was like 93. Yeah, 93 uh, super delegates. Yeah, out of like 700 and something super delegates, so that's like a pretty significant sample size, and they said that 90% of them 
uh, would vote against Sanders, even if he had a plurality of wow. the, the, the count, like heading into the convention. So, I mean, yeah, like these people don't want a communist as the head of their party. And that's very understandable because these folks have a lot of money and they know that he's going to he's going to make them stand in bread lines. If, if that happens, Milwaukee, yeah. nice knowing you because it's, it's this, this isn't speculation. They told us they were going to do it mm-hmm. yeah. in the undercover videos that we saw from Project Veritas. Yeah. Milwaukee will burn. And especially if it's given to Bloomberg. Can you imagine the person that, the, that he epitomizes the person they, hate, they hate and want to destroy mm-hmm. and he gets it unfairly? Instead of burning. It'll be like 1968 all over again. It absolutely will. But this is like what happens when you allow it to get this far and then suddenly you're trying to pump the brakes and it's like, there's no mm-hmm. pumping the brakes anymore. There's no way to get out of the situation without some damage on one end or the other, either ending up with Sanders or having to do something dramatic to get rid of him. And so it's, it's not going to end well for them either way it goes. It's their own fault. They allowed themselves to get that way. They flirted with these like kind of, you know, they went away from the middle. They flirted with these far, far left, you know, ideas because they had no original ideas. They didn't know what to do. And then once Barack Obama became president, he didn't deliver on any of them because they're insane. Yeah, obviously. And, and, you know, and it, it's funny because in many ways there are so many parallels with the Cuban Revolution. Fidel Castro is almost like this like fringe element. And then the center, the center left people, the, the, the Catholic Student Union and all the like these like these groups started saying, well, why don't we just form this alliance with this guy and then we can just get rid of him when we get rid of uh, Batista was also a dictator. Mm-hmm. So like, let's 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 right. focus on getting rid of Batista and then we can worry about the, like, you know, Castro some other time. But what, ha- you know, what, what, what they learned is that you cannot form coalitions with these people. You can negotiate with them. You just have to exclude them. And what should have happened back, I'd say, probably like in 2015, if not definitely by 2017, was that whoever was in charge of the DNC or the Democrats at the time should have just stood up and said, listen, we don't care if it'll cost us an election. We don't want Marxists in our party. You guys have to leave. Go to your hippie commune or something, right? But you, 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 you like we don't want you. They should have said that, and 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 I think it would have been a much more sustainable uh, strategy for the party. Instead, now they have to deal with a uh, like a, a neo-Marxist cult that they have within the party, and you can't get rid of these people. You know right? what sucks? It, Bernie Sanders, when he became mayor, he won by like a handful of votes. Ten votes. Yeah. Ten, yeah, ten, fourteen votes, something like that. And his friends said that if he would have lost, he would have gone away forever. Right. So if you're thinking about, you know, voting in the next election, you better frickin' vote, because you could be those 10 votes. That actually makes a difference. All right, back in a minute. God, that's terrifying. So, I mean... I really don't think the man has a mayor of, like, wonders, who the hell did he The Competitive Enterprise Institute published a study analyzing the Green New Deal and its effects on the transformation of electricity production, transportation, elements of shipping and construction in 11 states uh, that implementation of the Green New Deal would necessitate. And among the 10, 10 of the 11 states that were analyzed, the study found that the average household burden of the Green New Deal in its first year is only $75,168. Huh. But, but, I mean, that's per household. Gosh. So, you know, it's, you got that laying around somewhere in a piggy bank <laughs> that you can just... Well, I do, yeah. Right, I mean. yeah. Uh, well, that's the income <laughs> inequality we're talking about, yeah. Uh, but 
with an average projected annual average cost of 47755 for four years afterward. Now, poor Alaska, they are the outlier of this particular study. They apparently would see a first-year cost burden of $84,584. That's more than the average family makes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Undoable. And the authors of the study also noted that their estimates do not include the, quote, cost of the non-energy components of the resolution, which they said might dwarf the energy-related costs by an order of magnitude. What could possibly go wrong? I'm sorry. The world's just going to have to end. I don't have the, I don't have the money. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's like we're all going to die in nine years anyway, so. That's a great point. So why yeah. make the investment now, yeah. right? Uh, so here is AOC. Little montage that uh, Grabian did. Uh, she she went on to read the entire new Green New Deal. Now we didn't. We're not going to put you through AOC reading the entire Green New Deal. But here is AOC reading portions of the Green New Deal, uh, showing it has a lot to do with things that don't necessarily have anything to do with the environment and ensuring affordable access to electricity, guaranteeing a job with a family-sustaining wage, adequate family and medical leave, paid vacations and retirement security to all people of the United States. Promote justice and equity by stopping current, preventing future, and repairing historic oppression of indigenous peoples, communities of color, migrant communities, deindustrialized communities, depopulated rural communities, the poor, low-income workers, women, the elderly, the unhoused, people with disabilities. <laughs> it sounds like she's saying for the low price of 75 grand, I can get reparations for myself as a black person. Which I don't know how much those reparations are, but that's, that's not it's a, a good, good trade-off. I don't know. It's I'm doing math on that. It's genius, this whole thing, because they're like, with this Green New Deal, they're like, not only are we going to save the planet because it's going to die, but we're going to save the planet, we're going to save your lives, and we're going to fix every single problem that you may have had. If you've ever felt marginalized in any direct any way, we're going to fix all those problems. All you have to do is just hand the keys over to us, mm-hmm. everything. And I cannot believe it. People fall for this crap. Yeah. They actually fall for this crap. This is a Trojan horse. Exactly. I mean, we, we know what's behind this. So this is, yeah. they're gonna, they want to seize the means of production. Yes. Mm-hmm. They want to have uh, confiscatory tax rates because you cannot pay for this. Without confiscatory tax rates, usually what what, what usually happens in, in some of these Latin American governments is that the first couple of years the economy starts going pretty well, and then everything just starts crashing down because like all the rich people who build companies and innovate and create jobs, they they take their money out, and so then the economy collapses, people become desperate and they start demanding change, and that's when they really start cramping down on civil liberties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the writing's on the wall. Yeah. Uh, well, good luck to AOC in pushing the Green New Deal in Congress. I think the more, I think her whole point of explaining, no, you guys listen, it's got a lot of other great things in here, I think probably is pushing them even further well, away. Well, the, the dangerous part about it is that when it gets reported on or when she talks about it, she lists these good goals of justice and blah, blah, blah. They're good goals, like in general terms. But and people hear that and they say, oh, I like that. I like to I want to vote for Bernie Sanders because that Green New Deal is going to do some good things. And if they don't ask, well, what's behind it? What does it mean? How would it get done? Then they're just like they're voting for something that is going to be very damaging down the road just because it sounds good. And that's what they're banking on. Mm-hmm. And nobody ever really exposes what this is about to the mainstream uh, public. I've heard no one make an actual good argument to how all of this is stupid and, 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 and crying about all these things like uh, the way that, you know, like 
technology goes in certain waves and like we don't all use coal anymore we don't use steam anymore there's like advances eventually energy gets cleaner and cleaner and cleaner the further along that you get these changes are going to happen anyway everything that they want to force on you right now and strip away all of your rights and you know that just you know not only strip away your bank account but everything that they're using right now to to as a tool of oppression you're not going to have to worry about this because technology is going to solve but it for you. But their argument is anyway. going to be that well, you don't have enough time. We can't wait for it to that's happen. That's why they so, attack yeah, the eight, We've got to take twelve years on it. Yeah, that's yeah, what absolutely. the time is about. You guys just don't know better because she has an economics degree. Oh my bad. She I studied don't. under Milton Keynes. <laughs> <laughs> you know that, that you could just print money. So she, you, you, you guys, I'm sorry, you guys are just simpletons. You're right. The little known elusive Milton Keynes. Uh, quickly before we go. We came to you, what, I guess it was Monday, with the report of uh, Department of Homeland Security official and whistleblower Philip Haney, who Mm. was found dead over the weekend. Uh, And the California, the sheriff's office in California, where this was located, said in its initial press release that he appeared to have have suffered a single self-inflicted gunshot wound. They were already ruling it a suicide. Uh, Apparently, in a new... Uh, A new press release issued yesterday. The sheriff's office stated, unfortunately, there was misinformation immediately put out that we have determined Mr. Haney's death to be a suicide. This is not the case. We are currently in the beginning phase of our investigation and any final determination as to the cause and manner of Mr. Haney's death would be extremely premature and inappropriate. At least they're looking into it. Oh my gosh! Okay. He's didn't kill himself. How did this? Yeah, no. I mean, this is stupid. I don't know how I got reported this way to begin with, but I, I was reading their uh, their little response, and they were like, "We think that they must have misunderstood us or something," because that's not what we said. Um, but but listen, he stood for what three days, two days, yeah, uh, without being refuted. Well, he like- was he was driving on the freeway. Gets out of the out. freeway, get, gets out, and then like shoots a, himself like in, the chest. in the chest. Life. Yeah. yeah, outside of his car before he was, what, going to be married the next month and was already in talks to join the Department of Homeland Security again and was working on a follow-up book to his first one, which was exposing a bunch of corruption within the DHS and the government. I've had multiple people reach out to us uh, privately, and they were friends of his, knew him, and said, this makes absolutely no sense. There was no indication to us whatsoever. This this stinks. I'm not saying that it was it was anything targeted. It could have just been, I don't know, you know it just could have been he had a flat tire or something pulled over, and then he got robbed, mm. you know, or something like that, or a thug did this. It could have been anything but what it's being reported, but the, the fact that the media and everyone fell right in line to kind of say this is what we want the story to be because he was a whistleblower during the Obama administration and please let it just be that yeah. is absolutely disgusting. I mean, Aaron, imagine if uh, he who shall not be named, who is the latest whistleblower Are we still doing that? We still not- I don't want to get the video taken down from YouTube, so... I forgot the guy's name, actually. Uh, well, it's, it's That's the whole point, right? <laughs> imagine yes. if this had happened to him. Yeah, it would be meltdown, yeah. and it would be reported totally differently, and it just goes to show how even things as serious as the life and death of somebody just get so politicized to where you will push a narrative about somebody's death just because of whose side you perceive them to be on. It's just, it's irresponsible. All right, back in a minute.
CNN uh, recently under fire has now altered its report on the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. Now, they had originally suggested that uh, a baby surviving an abortion, stick with me here, a baby that survives an abortion and is actually born alive, which is kind of why they call it the Born Alive Bill, uh, is, um, is different than all other babies. It's a fetus that was yes, born. Yes, it was a fetus. Um, they require they they describe the bill as requiring abortion providers to work to preserve the life and health of a fetus that was born following an attempted abortion, as they would for a newborn baby, or face up to five years in prison. Now they have you know again, like I said, they came under fire for this. They just recently finally updated the article uh, by removing the phrasing and clarified uh, that. It actually is the, the live birth of an infant. So they said, oh, actually, this bill is uh, an abortion that results in the live birth of an infant. And it would require abortion providers to exercise the same degree of professional skill and care. Um, now, it does still paint the bill as a, quote, abortion restriction bill, which I'm having trouble. Right, like the, the abortions the already on. the attempt on the abortion has, has already, already happened. happened. You just were not successful at killing your own child. Yeah. Sorry, now it's a baby and we need to take care of it. It's like they can cover up the language that they use in that article because of the backlash, but it really exposes the thought process that it takes to take that position on that bill that you have to mentally dehumanize mm -hmm. this being in order to say you don't have to take care of it after it's born because it wasn't wanted. And it's just, the contradiction is so obvious and they try to hide it because if people want their children, it doesn't matter if it's two weeks into the pregnancy, four weeks, whatever, whenever you find out, you that's a baby. And so the idea that a, something that can come out of the womb and you can say, well, that's just a fetus that was born because it was unwanted. I mean, the mental denial that you have to be in to take that stance is pretty unbelievable. This pisses me the hell off when they try to like classify, they try to say that just because you're at a different stage of life that it's somehow less. Mm. Oh, it's just a fetus. Well, there's many different stages of life, especially children. There's toddlers. Yeah. There's toddlers. That's Newborn. a specific. Does it, do, do we diminish the life of a toddler because it's a toddler and you want to label it that? No, it's alive. Yeah, this is like one of the issues where they're, where the media engages in the worst possible gaslighting. Mm -hmm. We see it all the time, especially with the issue regarding late-term abortions, where the media, is, they, they just straight up, now they're just straight up lying, because even the pro-choice groups recognize that there are about 10,000 late-term abortions per year, the vast majority of which have nothing to do with fetal endangerment or, or a threat to the life of the mother. Well, hold on. Because that is a fallacy in itself. In a late-term abortion, the fetus is already viable. And if right. there is a danger to right. the health or life of the mother or the baby, it's right. much quicker and safer to undergo an emergency right. C-section than yeah. it would be mm -hmm. to induce an yeah. abortion. Right. So, so, but the media do not report this, right? They, what, what they try to do is that they'll, they'll say something like this, right? Which is a, it, it, it's a logic trick. Well, they say, well, it's like less than 1%. Right. Right. Problem is that is that when you were talking about 800 or 900,000 abortions per year, 1% of that is, is, is like a ton of a, a ton of babies. Right. Well, also, I mean, e even let's let's say that okay, fine, we'll give you that. So, are you saying that that's it's wrong? Cuz if so, we should all agree that we should stop it. So, we're, we're, the, somebody put out the figure. No matter how yeah, minor. Yeah, like somebody put out the figure. It's 10,000 Babies who are butchered 
in in like the like after I think it's like after the twenty second week in a pregnancy. Yeah. To put that in perspective, right? We were all horrified. No matter whether you thought it was the, the fault of the police officer or the suspect, when the, when there was the issue of about I think it was about a thousand uh, black men who were killed. I think in two thousand seventeen during various engagements with, with the police officer. Take that number, multiply it by 10. Mm -hmm. that's, the, that's the number of babies that are, that are aborted in, in a late-term procedure in this country per year. But the media, they want to inoculate the American public from this horrific reality. Yeah. Abortion cannot be defended if you acknowledge the personhood. So you, you have to play this game, otherwise the entire thing crumbles and this becomes such a foundational issue that people want to have this right to do this, that they have to play this game, so no matter how ridiculous it might seem like that CNN article, that's probably gonna only get worse because as this goes on and as we keep trying to say this is what abortion is and what it does, and they have to keep kind of twisting in gymnastics to make it work, it's just gonna keep getting more ridiculous. I think the CNN article is kind of proof that it is getting worse because, you know, you wanna talk about Overton Window, they kept making the argument that it's not a fetus until it's born. I'm, I'm sorry, it's, it's, it is a fetus until it's born. Yeah, and right? by that it's a fetus until it, no, it's still a fetus. It's inside the mom's stomach. It's it's still a fetus. So you're it's now saying there is no limit at all. Like 24 weeks is not even a limit anymore because there's no logical right. reason for that. Well, now you that, have to but, say what could it goes to the end. Is it exiting the vaginal canal? Well, that, but that's what their argument basically was. Was until it's born, it's still a fetus that relies on its mother for survival. Now they're taking that same term fetus and using it after the baby has already yeah, but been. But then born. it's like what. Let's stop and just define fetus for a second. That's that's just a stage of development. Like you said, it's just a stage of development. So the idea that changing the word changes the nature of the thing that we're talking about, it doesn't make any sense. They're, they're constantly changing it. Before it was like viability, you right. know, if it could if it could breathe on its mm -hmm. own. But then viability, based off of technological advancement, kept on shifting further and further back yep. towards conception. So uh, not that far, but um, but kept on shifting back. So it's 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 the most stupidest argument. If people actually actually listened to it and thought it through, it makes absolutely no sense. The human capacity to do evil things always amazes me, even though I've seen a lot of it in my time. But I, there's a viral video going around the internet right now. I don't know if you guys saw this, but there's this girl that has, she, she videotaped multiple abortions. She's a teenager, it looks like. She looks like she's in high school. And she videotaped it to like a, a rock video. Yeah, on TikTok. Video. Yeah. She, on TikTok, that's right. It is the most disgusting thing. Actually, if you watch it, it, it I almost started crying watching it. Mm -hmm. It is Horrifying. It's so normalized now. Mm. It's, we're losing this argument. I don't know how to get back and win it again. Yeah. All right, back in a minute. And yes, Jason did say most stupidest. <laughs> Yesterday's poll question, uh, who came off the worst in the Democratic debate? Uh, Joe Biden took the cake here, 32, almost 33 percent, uh, followed by Bernie Sanders at 27 percent, Elizabeth Warren at 20 percent, and, and oh, Mike Bloomberg at 21 percent, and then Elizabeth Warren. Um, I, Joe Biden, I don't, I mean... Did he really come off looking that much worse than he just already looks every day that he campaigns? He just looks like he's not in the fight. I think that's the worst thing is everybody else has got the energy to actually get combatant. He just looks like, you know, the guy that has no energy whatsoever to engage. I don't think he wants to that, continue this. I think uh, well, do you think he ever wanted it? No, no, actually, I don't. I think, I don't he, was, I think he was pressured into this because of the, just the mere existence of Warren and, and Sanders. Well, it looks like he's about to win South Carolina, so maybe that'll, that'll rejuvenate won. him a little bit. <laughs> yeah, there's one. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe not. What do you think? 
you know, he's, it's like having a dead person on stage, and I, <laughs> I feel terrible for him. Like, you know, like, I mean, he's uh, he's an older gentleman. Uh, he's been, been been through some pretty horrific experiences okay. throughout his life. I wish Uncle Joe would just go home and be with his grandchildren and his family. Um, you know, he's, he's clearly not up for this. Well, the good news is uh, if the presidential thing doesn't work out, he can al- always fall back on the U.S. Senate bid that he apparently is running for right, and right. told everyone that he was running for, except he's not. So it's really awkward. Uh, today's poll, are you worried about the coronavirus in the United States? If you are, I'm sorry, but I just, you're overreacting. I, I can say this because Glenn's, really? not, Glenn's not here today. <laughs> so I can say it. Glenn's sitting there. I don't know if I say this to you, but today I'm telling you, I don't think you should be worried. I, let me, let me, don't panic. No, That's what I would like. I don't, I wouldn't be worried more than you're worried about catching the flu every winter. I wouldn't say worried. I, I think concerned might be better. That seems less hyperbolic to me because I, I definitely think it's going to spread a lot more. And I think it's going to be more mainstream as far as a lot people that you know are catching this. Say, be aware. Yeah, right. Be aware. I have young children Cautious. and I think that's something that if it was to come here more, then I would be a little bit concerned about. But right now, I think it's going to control a little bit. Cautious. That's a good I'm, word. Yeah, I would be cautious. I'm an ogre who just lives in his apartment. <laughs> I, I, I never go outside, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to be fine. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the news and why it matters. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you'd like to watch the program, become a Blaze TV subscriber and start your free trial now at blazetv.com.